You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. And so the largest number of people that's living in Philippi are retired Roman soldiers. And so they're kind of like a brute squad. Not kind of like, they are a brute squad. And, you know, not everyone in Philippi would have Roman citizenship. So if you had Roman citizenship, it meant that you were a member of the Roman Empire. It meant that you had certain rights that could not be violated. It meant that you could get a, you, people could not get away with treating you poorly. But if you were not a citizen of the Roman Empire, they could do just about anything to you, so, as we're going to see today, some of the things that ended up happening to Paul and Silas on the assumption that they were not citizens. So imagine this, a bunch of ex-soldiers in Philippi, and Paul and Silas end up going into this area and they're wanting to uh, kind of feel it out. They don't know what kind of a presence is there if, our, if there's a Jewish synagogue, if there's a large number of people who would believe in the way or who, who knew who uh, the God of the Jews was. So let me see the, the map. Will you throw that, that map up there for me? And so in most Bibles, there's going to be maps. And the maps, you can look at them and think, you know, what, good are, what, what are they good for? They're good for kind of tracing as you're reading through the New Testament to kind of tracing where did Paul go as he was traveling? Because when we think about traveling, for us, if we want to go 100 miles, that's about an hour and a half, depending on who's driving, <laughs> right? Uh, if you want to go 100 miles and you're traveling by foot and you're making three miles an hour, that's a lot of hours. If you do math, that's like 33 hours, okay? See, and a third, but anyway, you get the idea of Paul and Silas leaving, and they, they leave this area, and they, they're coming all, all the way up, jumping on a boat. Here is Philippi. You can't even see it hardly because it's barely on the map. But this is kind of like the known Roman Empire world, and this is an outpost. And so this is the place where last week we got to hear my dad talking about the... Uh, how Paul and Silas were drawn to go certain places because they were forbidden to go certain places. And then they had this dream where a Macedonian man said, hey, come to Macedonia. And they deduced, maybe that's where we're supposed to go. If you haven't heard that, I encourage you to listen to it. It can help you to learn. How, how can you tell when God's talking to you and how he, when he's directing your steps? I also believe at Connect and Grow, there's notes from last week if you want to grab those. Anyway, with that said, let's dive into Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15 for starters. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller, seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So here's what they did. They would go into a city looking for a Jewish synagogue. And the reason they did this is because they were carrying a message that had originated among Jesus' disciples who all of them were Jewish people. And yet this message is something that's supposed to go out to the whole world. So Paul and Silas, they start by saying, hey, by the way, is there a Jewish synagogue here? And then they'll go there and they'll share a message saying, everybody who believes in the God of 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let me tell you what he's done now and how he's provided a way that we no longer have to do animal sacrifices in order to be right with God, but instead he sent his son Jesus to die willingly on a cross to carry our sins and our sicknesses that all who would believe in him and obey him would be called sons and daughters of God. So that's their plan. Usually what happens as you read through the book of Acts is they go into an area, there's a response People, some people respond positively to this news. Other people respond by trying to kill them. Other times they actually do kill Paul. Note, he comes back to life. But then they, they'll say, they have this very Hebrew thing that they would do. And they would take, if, if the message was rejected, they would take off their shoes and they would beat their shoes together. And they would say, not even the dust is going to remain on our feet. And God, Jesus had told them, if you do that kind of thing, it would be, it's worse for them than it is for even the cities that receive great judgment in the Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the whole idea was this big ceremony of, you don't want to hear the message of the gospel? Boom, boom, boom. Take your shoes off, knock the dust off. And then it was like, ooh, you know, if you were watching The Lion King, that's the part where they would say, Mufasa, ooh, you know, that part. It, it, it's, it's intense. It's not just a ceremony. It, it means you don't want anything to do with the Lord God. And even the dust of the feet, we don't want your dust on us because we don't want to get the judgment that's coming your way, okay? And then they'd go and they'd usually take the people who had responded positively and they'd go meet in a place and they'd share more about the gospel and they'd share the teachings of Jesus and uh, this is what it's going to look like. But Philippi had no synagogue, which tells us there really wasn't very many Jewish people there. So Paul and Silas, who up until this point have really been majoring in, yeah, we go to the synagogues and then we branch out. Now, if their, if their ministry is to the non-Jews, they've got a whole bunch of them there. So they find that there's some followers of, of, of God, but they're, only women are gathered, and they're outside the city kind of by a river. And so Paul, I can just imagine Paul and Silas walking into the situation and trying to figure it out. It's not like men and women had regular interactions on a regular basis. Oftentimes, even within the Roman uh, Empire, women were considered to be second-class citizens and were often treated as such, glorified property. And it's only, you know, I've heard people, you know, bemoaning, you know, or calling Jesus somehow misogynistic or a woman hater and how Christianity is anti-woman. And the evidence in Scripture and what we see, the, the mandates that are given by God by, through Jesus and through the teachers in the New Testament is the opposite of that. And we get to see even the example of Paul and Silas don't go to the river, look around and see, well, it's just a bunch of chicks. I oh, don't want to waste our time here. That's, I mean, think about it. If Jesus was misogynistic, if Christianity is misogynistic, there's no men there, and it's supposed to be such a man-forward religion, why would they even go waste their time talking to these women? No, not at all. They went over, and they shared the message of the gospel. They gave them both barrels. It's like, here's the deal. This is what's going down. And we don't know everybody that responded, but it's interesting. There's a woman from Thyatira. Thyatira was known for this very special thing in that there was a, a, a type of sea creature that if you crushed enough of its shells, you could extract something that would allow for the dyeing of cloth into purple. And it was super difficult, and it, it was so expensive. And that's why kings and people who were royalty had purple robes is because you knew it was a sign of wealth, it was a sign of status, it was a sign of look what I have and look what you don't. Kind of like what we're doing with the sound booth right back here, the purple light, no, that's not the same thing. But 
It's, it was perp- And so Lydia is a person from Thyatira. She traveled in most likely to a place where people don't have access to the purple cloth. And so she's kind of an importer, exporter. Uh, she's, she lives about, you know, probably 250 miles away in Thyatira, but she's now made her home in Philippi. And she responds. Now, there's something about Lydia that she's mentioned that she had a positive response to the message of Christ, the message of the gospel, and she was a person of influence. Here's something that God will often do when the gospel is preached in a new area. He will, and I'm not talking about he only saves the important people, but he will, fi- he will find someone who has specific influence to provide a home base for the message of the gospel to continue to go out. So Lydia receives Christ, and is baptized. And not only is she baptized, but her entire house is baptized. And then she says, if you guys trust that what God is doing in me is real, would you let me please show you hospitality so that while you're here in Philippi, as long as you stay, you have a home base. And Paul and Silas and all the brothers said, thank you, God. Because now they have a place where they can stay, place that they can, it's a place that they can retreat to, their needs are helping, uh, being met and provided for, it's, it's super positive. So each day, Paul and Silas, and most likely some of the new converts to Christianity, begin to travel around Philippi, carrying the message of the gospel into different areas to share, to strike up conversations. Often when we think of people preaching, we think of people going to a street corner and yelling, um, you better turn to God or you're going to burn in hell. What's going on here most likely is Paul and Silas and the people who are with them attempting to strike up conversations with people so that those who want to hear more can gather at a place later to be able to share that, okay? I believe it's imperative for us that we do not, um, I guess Jesus refers to it in some places, don't cast pearls before swine. And that's kind of a funky saying, but it's really, when we're giving the message of the gospel, if people don't want to hear it, why would we continue to shout down to try and make them hear it? This isn't broccoli and your kid. You understand what I'm saying? This is good for you, take it. Sometimes we can inoculate people against the gospel because the presentation is disrespectful and is forceful. I like to follow the feed the hungry bird. I mean, I believe we're supposed to be people who declare the message of the gospel. Sometimes we need to use words. Most of the time we get to show up by the way we act and the way we treat people. And we earn a right to have conversations where people want to hear. If people want to hear a message, it's much easier to have conversations. We don't need to try to force them, hold them down. I'm going to tell, I, I've heard stories about, there's a, a pastor in Los Angeles named Matthew Barnett who's telling a story about a guy in his church who used to be a blood in a street gang, and he converted to Christ. And they were having, heard, heard later some people in the neighborhood were complaining about him because he was witnessing, and the people said, I don't want to hear about it, so he held him down. And he's, you need to hear, this is important. And he resorted to what he knew, which was, he wasn't hurting him, but he's holding him because you need to hear this is important. And he was using his intimidation. And it's like, that's a discipleship opportunity right there. I appreciate your vigor, but we're not supposed to hold people down and beat them up if they say no. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So think about this. They're traveling in the neighborhoods. And at some point, people begin to hear what's going on. They may not know, but they're hearing about it. And in this particular spot, they're, they're on their way to a place of prayer. 
And they're met by a girl, a slave girl. We don't know how old she is, but probably between the ages of 12 and 18. Not a full adult yet. And she is known to be oppressed. Some would say possessed, but I don't believe a person is ever truly possessed because God always leaves a, a, a spot for the person's will to be able to respond to him should they so desire. We see that like in the story in Mark chapter five about the man who was oppressed by a great legion of, of demonic beings and yet he still ran to Jesus. The demonic beings did not want to run towards Jesus because Jesus had authority over them. The man ran to Jesus for help. Anyway, there's this slave girl and she is oppressed by a spirit of divination. Divination would be like desiring to know things that are hidden. It is in the family of information that would be tied into witchcraft or fortune-telling or tarot cards, astrology, horoscopes, uh, palm reading, crystal balls, uh, reading omens, tea leaves. Uh, they also used to do this thing where they'd cut open a, an animal and take out the liver, and then they'd read the liver as the spirits enabled them to do this. Uh, modern day people will maybe try to use a Ouija board to communicate with the spirit world to get information. I've even saw an advertisement for a, a Christian Ouija board where you could communicate with Jesus through it. It's like, let me just put a, let me just, that's not true, it's not real. You don't need to spend $29.95 on Amazon or at Walmart to buy something to communicate to Jesus. You can just talk to him and he will respond to you through the Holy Spirit. You know this? I mention it because it's out there. I don't want to assume, you know, you may come to Christianity with a whole bunch of information that you've learned over the years. You may also be seeking out today and be wondering, I don't know anything. Is that how would they do this? So let's not, um, let's just be patient with our, with teaching because that's one of the things that disciple, making disciples does of Jesus. We teach people to obey him and to follow him, right? Okay. So all that to say, this woman, this little girl with the, the spirit of divination is owned by a couple of guys. And she is, the, in, in the Greek, the spirit that, uh, that possesses her or oppresses her is called a python spirit or the, the spirit of Pythia. Some of you may have heard of the, the oracle at Delphi who was known for giving ecstatic prophecies and re revelations about the present and the future. And there would have been supposedly a mythical large snake or crocodile looking thing that would have protected her. Uh, that's the same word for, that is used for the oracle at Delphi. So it's a significantly powerful demonic spirit. Little girl, big mess, okay? She's making a ton of money for her owners because she is accurate at what she's doing, at uncovering hidden knowledge. Have you ever heard the word the occult? The occult speaks of hidden things. And as God's people, we are instructed to not engage in the spiritual world apart from going through him and the Holy Spirit. Everything else is off limits because it is destructive. Because even if it promises, you know, often there's the idea of you have a loved one who dies and I didn't get the chance to say goodbye and someone says, I'm a medium. I can call up their spirit. You can have an interaction with them. And people will pay money and flock to that. What we know about that is that we can't actually talk to those who have died. And often what will happen is people who are attempting to contact their loved ones, they will get something known as a familiar spirit or the spirits that had been plaguing them or kind of surrounding and learning about them over the years. 
uh, in scriptures they're referred to as familiar spirits or elemental spirits that would then mimic the loved one and pretend to be them. So it's like, oh, that's where the information's coming from. And when that happens, often there is a, an attachment or a bond that is formed with the spirit world. And the enemy's looking for ways to hook into us in any way, shape, or form as we would delve into the occult so that he can begin to manipulate and to work and develop a stronghold to take us out. He wants to steal from us. He wants to kill us. and He wants to destroy. So this young woman who is oppressed by this very large, powerful evil spirit is making big money for her, her, her owners. And she begins to follow Paul and Silas around. When I was a kid, there was a record we used to listen to done by a woman named Ethel Barrett. And she used to mimic this voice, and I'm not going to do it super loud, but this is kind of the, tell me if I get it right, Mom, okay, it's, it's kind of like this. It's like this little girl's following him around, and she's like, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they're here to tell you the way to salvation. These men are servants of the Most High God, and they're here to tell you the way of salvation over and 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 over. Day after day after day after day. Paul and Silas are trying to have a conversation. They're parking with Paula and Duffy, talking to him about what are you guys up to? All of a sudden, these men are servants of the Most High God. They're here to tell you the way of salvation through Jesus Christ. Over and over and over again. I don't know whether it was because of discernment or attempting to push through, but Paul and Silas did not address that. For days, and days, and days, and everywhere they went, she went, taunting, tormenting, throwing out the information, until it says, Paul, at some point, became greatly annoyed. (laughs) Being a Christian does not mean you lose your humanity. How you respond in that moment, I mean, imagine someone's asking about Jesus and you've got this siren going off for days. You know, some of us get bent out of shape because the, the fire alarm, smoke alarm in our room has been beeping for an hour. Beep. It's like, ah. Imagine the voice and it's been following you around and you're just getting to a spot in a conversation and it pops up again. And it's not a testimony of Christ. It's a mocking Paul becomes greatly annoyed and he turns and he looks and he doesn't speak to the girl. He speaks to the spirit that's oppressing the girl. And he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her at that very hour. And we don't know specifically what happened with the girl other than she was 100% free and no longer oppressed by the spirit. Good news. However, when the owners of this girl realized that their hope for profit was gone, that they indeed would not be able to buy the triumphant boat that they'd been looking at, they were upset. And they began to rabble rouse because as something is shaking in the spiritual realm, we don't know for sure, but something about this girl and the spirit within this girl, it was like this, this major power encounter between the spirit of God and the spirit that was kind of a dominating who will de- tell of the truth of the future of this place. And when this spirit was cast out by the Holy Spirit, all hell breaks loose and chaos in the natural world. 
And so these guys begin to rabble-rouse, and they're grabbing their friends. These guys who came into our town, and they're advocating customs that are against Rome, and they, they cast out this, our spirit. They took away how we're making money. They're, they're, they're coming for your kids. They're coming for, you know, they're, they're just beside themselves. And this is Philippi. Remember who I told you lives there? Ex-soldiers. How do ex-soldiers deal with problems? They hit them. They use force. Why? Because most likely these are not your negotiator types. These are not your people who with conflict resolution. Let's work through this. Instead, hear what's going on. There's people causing problems here. We don't want another revolt. We don't want Rome coming in here and smacking us down again. And so the magistrates come and it says they beat Paul and Silas mercilessly. And then they threw them into prison. And they told the, the, the jailer, don't let them out. I want you to, we'll deal with them maybe some other time, but we just want them locked up. And the jailer, you know, he, he's been entrusted with these, you know, enemies of the state. And he puts them into the inner cell and he locks their feet in stocks. Have you ever watched Robin Hood? We've seen, I'm talking about the cartoon, Robin Hood. Robin Hood, little John running through the floor. Okay. Welcome to 1974 with Louie, Ethel Barrett and Robin Hood. It was a great year. But they're locked in stocks. You do, you, stocks aren't fun. Okay? This isn't like, hey, we get to suffer for Jesus. This is, they've been beat mercilessly. They've got their feet locked in stocks. There's no hope of them being released. They're in a faraway place with their friends far away, and their only friends right now are girls. And that's not bad, but in a place where uh, might is, is valued, look, it's looking bad. You know, this, what started out as this great breakthrough, now it's like, so was it worth it? Did we sign up for this? And the answer is yes. Persecution is a direct result of the shaking in the spiritual world that happens when people begin to advance in their relationship with God. What happens in the spiritual realm, the enemy just does not leave. Oftentimes we've turned, within our American culture and American Christian culture, we've turned the devil into one of two things. This all-powerful, equal foe to God, where it's 50-50, you know, battle of the titans, them against each other. Who's going to win? Oh, don't know. By the pay-per-view. Or... He's a toothless lion. He can't do anything. And we relegate him to this little tiny thing we shouldn't even be paying attention to, which is kind of interesting that Peter, the, the disciple and the apostle, would say something like, you know, be careful because the devil goes about like a roaring lion looking to eat whoever he can. Submit to God. Then you can resist the devil. Things are shaking. Things are shaking. Things are shaking. When you keep in mind, Jesus came for multiple reasons. One of them was to destroy the works of the devil. And often in going into a place, the, God's purpose for this young lady who had been oppressed by this evil spirit was not that she would be a slave. It was not that she would be oppressed by an evil spirit. But those are things that ended up happening through the circumstances in her life. And God chose to send Paul and Silas to bring freedom to her in Jesus' name. We don't know anything else about what happened to her. But I would bet you money we will see her in heaven. Because when a person has had God bring great deliverance to them, 
the proper response is thanks. The proper response is gratitude. We see in uh, Jesus' last week on earth, there's a story about him going into a tax collector's home or a Pharisee's home, and while he's in there, a woman of ill repute comes in, and she breaks open a bottle of expensive, smelly incense perfume and dumps it all over him, and the Pharisee religious leader gets all bent out of shape and says, you know, I can't believe you're letting this woman touch your feet. And he says, this woman has been forgiven much, and for the woman who's been forgiven much, she shows great appreciation. And dude, by the way, You didn't even give me anything to wash my feet when I came in here, which is a violation of Jewish hospitality rules. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell this woman's story for as long as the gospel's preached. How do you like that? I just had a goodwill hunting moment. How do you like them apples? Goodness. I've been gone for two weeks, and I miss church a lot. (laughs) Thank you, Dan. One of the funny things I mentioned at the beginning, Roman citizens have a lot of... uh, rights and privileges. Paul and Silas are Roman citizens. So they're sitting in jail and I'm sure at some point they said, we're Roman citizens but they were being beaten too much for anybody to respond. So, here's what happens. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. The dust has settled. Paul and Silas are in the inner prison in stocks. It's about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God as one does in jail, with stocks on, at midnight, because they've been beaten. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were with him in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. It's interesting. I was thinking about this, talking with Tim this morning about uh, growth opportunities, talking about kingdom life, and what does it look like when we're looking to see God's purpose work out in us, to find, understand, and follow why he made us. We can know this in... 2 Timothy, it says, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. What if you want to fly under the radar and live a godly life? You will still be persecuted. And it's, it's almost as though once you decide you're going to begin following, following Jesus, you become a target. And if it seems that way, it's because it is. It's true. We have an enemy, the devil, who looks to steal, kill, and destroy, like I mentioned. And he's attempting to take out every person on the planet who are made in the image of God and to try to mar them with his own image. And when we become people who belong to Christ, if, we, if he can't get our souls, he wants to try to oppose us at every step of our walk so that we never fully step into or embrace being a full disciple of Jesus Christ. So we will struggle. We will have challenge after challenge after challenge. Whether you belong to Jesus or whether you don't, there will be struggles. There will be illnesses. There will be random chance happenings. There will be freak accidents. There will be stuff that happens. But 
in our life, people who belong to Jesus, God can and does use those things as growth opportunities. James chapter 1 goes into detail saying, hey, by the way, when there is uh, trials of many kinds, rejoice at that because it allows you to grow in perseverance. It allows you to grow in strength. It builds your faith. It helps you to grow up. And so Paul and Silas being in prison, though not optimum, isn't the end of the world either, which is why they're singing and praising God, because they have learned you can still praise God in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a dark time. And also to know there are people who are listening to them. Why? Because people who do not yet know Christ yet, or people who are at the very beginning of the journey, or people who have been walking with them for a long time, when bad stuff hits the fan, they're watching to see how you're going to respond. You only walk with Jesus when things are good, Or can you walk with him when things don't make sense? What if Jesus never did anything good for you? He does. But what if he didn't? What if it was suffering after suffering after suffering after suffering, unknown after unknown after unknown? Can you still praise him in that time? If you want to grow, if you want to experience miracles, if you want to see the kingdom of God expand in your life and in the life of people around you, you want to see people brought from dark to light, from death to life, from bondage to freedom, then you will experience suffering. You will experience hardship. You will experience challenges. You will experience uh, retaliation. You will experience adversity. You will experience pain. You will experience loss. But you can know that the same God who brings hope, brings life and deliverance and freedom is the same God who is with us in the middle of the darkness. He is not far away. When we are suffering, when we're going through hard things, I can tell you, as much as I hate it, those are the times our faith is made for that. Often the times that we struggle the most are when things are pretty good. It's not as though at some point, you know, because we're calling upon Jesus when we need him, right? Some of you even have wrestled with the idea of, I, I hesitate coming back to church when I'm struggling. Let me get my life together first. And then I'll come back. You remember you wrestled with that in your head? You know, I can tell you what God says. He says, come to me. He wants us to approach him. People get bent out of shape. It seems like you only come around when you want something. Hmm? That's not God's heart. God's heart is restoration and wholeness. It's revealed in Luke chapter 16, the story of the the prodigal son who's gone away, has wished his father dead, gotten his inheritance, has wasted it on loose living. Finally decides he wants to return home. At least he'll have something to eat, and he'll tell his dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. I'll I'll just be your servant. And it says his father was watching for him on the porch, and when he saw him from a long way off, he ran to him. And the son got maybe two sentences out. I'm I'm not worthy to be called your son. Let me at least be your servant. And he picked him up and he embraced him. And he said, we're going to party because you're back. That's God's heart. Don't allow the lie of the enemy or your own pride to keep you from approaching Jesus and saying, I'm in a point of need. Because even at your very best, when things are going good, when you're having a great hair day and everything's wonderful, that's still not good enough to approach Christ. We only approach him through his preparation through Jesus. Does that make sense? So, all that to say, 
Can you worship in the dark times? In Psalm chapter 22, the psalmist writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the entire psalm is about his mourning, not his daytime, but his, the grief and mourning and loss, and at the same time, God's goodness. I've heard it said that Jesus on the, on the cross questioned whether God was with him or not. Matthew chapter 27. I don't believe that at all. I believe he was worshiping on the cross when he sang Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting scripture in the dark. You can't know what your testimony of your life in the hard times does for people around you. You may never even know how close they're watching you, but they are. And God does not hold the hammer over your head. You know, don't mess up. Don't ruin this. But he says, like when Job, at the end of Job's suffering, when he's finally get to stand before God, you know what God says to him? Here's the Louis version. He says, suck it up, Job. Time to be a man. I'm going to have a conversation with you now. When we're going through hard things, God is not far away. But he also is, he's not pitying us. You know, you know poor you. He's going to say, I've called you for this kind of stuff. I've given you the strength for this kind of stuff. You're going to make it. Suck it up. You can do it. And if you've heard suck it up in a negative context, please know that's not God. That's not what I'm trying to communicate, that God has no compassion because it, it, he's full of it. But even more, he calls us to something more than we would settle for ourselves. To rise up. I can tell you of the football coaches I hated because after we're done practicing, after we're done with everything, then we get to go run. And we'd start running 100-meter runs from end zone line to end zone line. And we'd start with 10, and then each week we'd add another one. Into the season, we're doing 22 100-meter dashes at the end of a practice. After the first one, and there's guys with their hands on their knees, losing whatever contents they have inside their guts. Most of it's just phlegm and water. Super gross. The coach is saying, this is for your good. You'll thank me later. And it's like, yeah, peas, Brussels sprouts, running. You know, what else? What else is going to thank me later for? Inevitably, when things got hard, and when everybody else has their hands on their knees sucking for wind, those who had persevered through the painful times had strength. And that's only in the natural. How much more in the supernatural, in the spiritual world, will God give you the strength as you work through these growth opportunities? Because they're going to happen anyway. Capitalize on it. God will work all things for good. Because you love him and you're called according to his purpose. Paul and Silas are singing. Everybody's listening. There's a great earthquake. Paul and Silas's bonds are open, but everybody else's bonds are not. Everybody else who wasn't singing gets to remain in suffering. No, that's not what it says. Everyone was affected by Paul and Silas, but they weren't singing. They're not even believers. Your overcoming and your working through the junk you're working through will have an effect on the world where you live. And people will experience freedom even if they didn't know they were looking for it because of what you're doing. You will have an impact in the spiritual world. It wasn't just the jailer, I believe, who falls on his knees and says, what must I do to be saved? There are times when we're going through the hard things 
we're all, we, we're, we're like Job and we're crying out, I wish I could just be with Jesus now. But I can tell you this, as you continue to persevere, you're going to find that he is the one who never leaves or forsakes you. He is the one who sticks even closer than a brother or another family member. Behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Is not just a, a phrase, it is an actuality. The jailer sees what's going on. According to Roman law, a jailer who allowed a prisoner to escape would pay the prisoner's sentence himself. We don't know how many people are there, but there's probably some bad guys there. He'd rather die at his own hand than to be, you know, receive the punishment. Paul stops him. I can only imagine as he's getting ready to do this and Paul yells at him, hey, dude, don't, we're here. And everybody's still here singing for Jesus. Which is, okay, I don't get you people. What do I have to do to be saved? All the stuff we read. The part we're not going to, I'm not going to read every verse, is at the end. The next day, the magistrate's like, oh, yeah, we've got those guys in prison. Um, send some guards. Hey, go tell them, the jailer, they can release them. They can go, just don't mess with Philippi. So the jailer gets the news and says, hey, Paul and Silas, brothers, the magistrate say you can go. And Paul's all, oh, no. No, 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 no. Why don't you send somebody back to him and say, come and do it yourself? I got a couple questions for you. How we, uncondemned, Roman citizens, what? Were beaten and imprisoned unjustly by you? I think I've got a friend in Rome who'd like to hear about this. And these magistrates heard what was going on, and it was like, oh, no. This was as bad of anything that they could have done. And so they came and they groveled. And Paul led them. Paul is a Christian man. And he still took joy in being able to say, oh, no, I'm standing up for what's right here. He didn't insist on his way. But he did say, you're not going to treat me this way. There will be consequences. And they came and they begged, please forgive us. We're so sorry. And Paul did. They said, please leave our town. <laughs> Guys, please go. We were planning on going anyway. <laughs> but then they go and they visit Lydia and they say hello and goodbye to all the other brothers. And they come back through later, but Acts 16. Just another couple days. Living for Jesus, want to see the kingdom expand. Can you imagine as they're walking away, Paul and Silas, just because they were set free doesn't mean their bodies don't hurt. The, we don't know what kind of contusions and lumps are on different places and limps and if they lost teeth in the thing. I just imagine as they're walking, it's like, that was cool. Number one, we suffered for Jesus. Number two, he did some awesome stuff. Number three, there's now a church in Philippi that people know if they call upon the Lord, he's a powerful God. More powerful than that powerful divining spirit. More powerful than the Roman Empire. And he loves people. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you are good and that you do good things. I thank you for the message of hope that you bring it, even in the middle of the dark times, that you don't leave us or forsake us. I also thank you, Lord, that even when we're caught in junk, even when we're caught in areas of bondage, even when we've been tied into areas of the occult or of spiritual darkness, you can and do bring freedom to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. 
And I want to start with that, with everybody's head still bowed. As I was talking about the different types of divination and witchcraft and, and other things that were involved in the occult, potentially tied to this young woman, you're thinking, I, I've done that. I've been involved in that. The Bible tells us that one of the ways we address that, if we've been involved in sin, but especially in spiritual darkness sin, is we repent. We have a change of mind and a change of heart. We ask God's forgiveness, and we ask for freedom in Jesus' name. And just like this young woman experienced deliverance at the name of Jesus, you can as well. And if that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I would like to invite you to raise your hands up to the Lord, saying, that's me. I recognize I've been messing with stuff. I've had these things involved in my life. Holy Spirit's bringing them up to my mind right now. I want to renounce them. I want to lay them down. I want nothing to do with those things anymore. Thank you, Lord. You see his hands up around the room, Lord Jesus. I agree. Freedom in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. Complete, total freedom. Lord, we want to walk in hearing your voice and being directed by your steps, by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we renounce any evil spirit, any spirit except for the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. We plead your blood over each person in this room, especially those that are with their hands up saying, Lord, that's me. Thank you, Lord. You can put your hands down. There's a part in that story in Acts chapter 16 where the jailer says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? And he says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and all your household. And if you've never believed in Jesus to follow after him as your Lord and Savior, I just want to invite you to lift up your hand as a way of saying, yeah, that's me. I want to start with Jesus today. Right on. I agree with you. Anybody else? If I miss you, wave at me. I don't want to miss you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You can put your hands down. So right after we're done, there's going to be a prayer available right back here in the back by the trellis. If you'd like to have someone pray with you about salvation or more prayer about sickness or something else has come up. This is good stuff. When we hear stories like this, it's meant to build our faith because the same Jesus who does this stuff is alive and active and working in you and in me. And I'm praying that in the dark times, we will see those as opportunities for growth. And we'll even get to see and tell stories of God's goodness and faithfulness as he brings deliverance and life and healing and hope to you and through you to the people around you. Right on? Right on. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may Jesus bless you and keep you. May Jesus make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May Jesus turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you. Have a great rest of your Sunday. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W-E-B at hillside, the number four, dot org.